Hello and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Hello and welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Into the Deep, an episode where we will, once again, find ourselves giving the various liars quite a bit of relationship advice. (laughs) This is the one where Paige throws Emily a surprise party and Jenna almost dies. Also, Ashley is bailed out by Pastor Ted, who I almost liked for two scenes before he got all Lucas-y. So she's out of jail and on house arrest. Mona gets sent back into Radley. Prezra puffs out his man chest because rich white guys should get everything they want the moment that they want it or else what is the world coming to and Arya is, I guess, like an emancipated minor now, starring in a rom-com with Karate Jake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really felt like um, on the heels of last week's episode, this is like, this is this episode feels less less fun and like more depressing. Like, I feel like the Paige and Emily stuff is just like, it's just sad. It's not, it's not like, it's not like fun drama. It's just like sad sad drama yeah well also it's like the straight couples do this kind of stuff with each other all the time and they're still like they're still together they just stay together uh and and muddle through and it's kind of a bummer that like uh paley hits a rough patch here and this is like the start of the rough patch that ultimately does them in like it's not that much longer uh before they're gonna be breaking up yeah well i sort of feel like the the upside and the downside of Paley is that they feel like they exist in the real world more than any of the other relationships. And in some ways that's, that can be great in certain moments because it can make them feel more grounded or whatever. And then in other times it's like, Oh yeah. Like you, you're the relationship where you, we actually have to deal with like consequences and like hard stuff in the future. But it's also just so hilarious that there's, so much talk here you know at at not even the midpoint of season four about next year at college and what are we going to do and recommendation letters and this and that and it's like everybody slow down it will be a full two seasons before we even get to college and spoiler alert we will skip over your entire college experience and land (laughs) uh with you in your early 20s so (laughs) yeah yeah be be cool everybody uh yeah i also uh we'll we'll talk about it when we get in here but i have like a specifics update on endless november uh because this episode is tied to a specific date of emily's birthday oh oh that's a very good point that's a very good point yeah is this the only liar birthday that we ever celebrate uh it's the only one i can think of off the top of my head uh i wanted to say were we cel- did we celebrate hannah's birthday with her dad like in an early season is that like part of why he came to town one time or no maybe not maybe he just was there so. is this emily's 18th birthday is emily officially an adult after this episode oh i don't know they never say how old she is i don't think yeah it would feel like a bigger deal if she was turning 18 but i mean she probably is turning i don't know i don't know we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about the timeline. We're four minutes in. We shouldn't talk about the timeline. 
would you would you like to take us to the opening scene? I would love to. I would love to. In this opening scene, Mona is being interrogated post-confession. She is really working the vocal tremor as she describes how she killed Wilden in self-defense. The detective is clearly trying to trip her up on details, like how many bullets were shot, but Mona is way too smart for that. She says that she knows that Wilden killed Garrett, but she was afraid of getting in trouble for sneaking out uh, the night of Halloween. And... uh, (laughs) When the detective asks about her sneaking out of Radley, she says she did so many times. Mona announces that Wilden was obsessed with trying to pin Allison's murder on her friends. Oh, Mona. She tears up through the whole story of Wilden becoming enraged and leaving her no choice but to kill him. Why confess now, the detective asks? She can't let her best friend's mom go down for a murder she didn't commit. Vander Jesus, everybody. The detective walks out and Mona kind of pulls herself together. What a great scene. Mona is selling this so well. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is why, you know, this is why she is the Vander Jesus, except no substitutions. Uh, She's got it down. Completely. Completely. Uh, Elsewhere, Hannah and Spencer have been sleeping on separate couches at the House of Hastings. Uh, it wouldn't be right for them to hook up while Mona is going to jail to win Hannah's love. Veronica comes in and announces that Mona made a full confession, but some of her story contradicts the evidence. She wants to know if the girls put Mona up to this, because if they had anything to do with it, it could really hurt Ashley's case. Although Veronica doesn't really go into details about how. Uh, Spencer and Hannah deny any knowledge of what Mona is up to. After Veronica leaves, Spencer turns to Hannah and asks if she did have anything to do with it. Hannah doesn't reply, but the look on her face speaks volumes. Yeah, Hannah is, like, super nervous through this through this whole interaction. Like, it's, it, you know, Hannah's never been the best liar of the girls. No, and Hannah, uh, when Hannah tells Veronica that she doesn't ha- didn't have anything to do with it, she's like, no, nothing honest. Like, she tacks the word honest onto her <laughs> sentence. Uh, like a like an eight year old would do. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yep. Good one there. Good one there, Marin. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So Aria on her porch swing is getting filled in on Hannah's plan while dreaming about getting filled in by a shirtless Jake, who is inside the house. He slept on the couch, but that doesn't stop Aria from admiring his various physical attributes. Um, she hangs up and inside Jake wants to go grab breakfast, but Aria has liar stuff to deal with. He talks her into a coffee, which she offers to pay for. And this is like, just like, this is just like their romantic comedy for the, like, this is like the first act of their little rom-com for the episode. This is, I think of it as Aria, the show that Aria's on, but it's called That's So Aria. Like, like, you know, her friends are involved in this murder plot, but she just has this gratuitously shirtless man changing in her front window. uh, And that's so Aria. Yeah, no. no, It's it's true. It's true. It feels like a show that would, like, maybe, maybe air on, like, the CW. It's probably only, like, 30 minutes long. Like, there might be a laugh track involved. Like, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very, it's very different from PLL. <laughs> oh, so Paige, Paige is back. Uh, and remember how Spencer recently apologized to Emily for being a bulldozer? I 
don't know what made me think of that, except that it could be Paige acting the very same way in this scene. Uh, Paige doesn't want to talk about Mona or about Emily's fears that she could go to jail, or I guess Emily living in a motel now that a car has run into her house. No, no, she wants to talk about Emily's birthday, which is tomorrow. Ahem. Quick, endless November check. That means that this day right here is November 18th, and Emily's birthday is the next day, November 19th, which means that the next, checks notes, 27 episodes, which includes such developments as all of Ravenswood, Allison being alive, Spencer's pill addiction and shadow play, Presner getting a shot, Shauna's death, Edison having sex, and culminating in the presumed death of Mona unfold over the course of 11 calendar days. <laughs> Get to it, liars! You're wasting daylight! <laughs> wait, how do, we, do we know, Is do they say the actual date in this episode? No, but Emily's birthday, like, Emily's birthday is, like, a known date. Oh, I didn't know how, I didn't know that. I didn't know that Emily's birthday was a known date. It's on, like, liar Wikipedia or whatever no, all of their I, birthdays are. I believe you. I believe you. I just, like, I, that's Wow, somebody somebody is like somebody has a lot of time on their hands to be all that out. <laughs> somebody must be living in an endless November to keep track of all that. Okay, look, I'm not the one that like figured out the alignment of the stars to like discover when her birthday was. I I merely I merely did a quick Google search to look it up. No, no. To be to be clear, I'm not saying that you are the person with too much time in your hands. It is the person who's like keeping the Wikipedia page up to date, lest we not know when a fictional character's birthday is. <clears throat> well, regardless uh, of the specifics of the space-time continuum uh, here in PLL, Paige pitches a quiet night for the two of them at her aunt's lake house and then gives Emily the card of a swim coach uh, with the news that she has made an appointment for Emily to meet with him that afternoon. Uh, This isn't a reference to Lindsay's politics, but Paige's whole deal here is a lot like the current occupant of the Oval Office uh, airing commercials about taxes that are so completely disconnected from the ongoing pandemic crisis. It's like she's trying to reform reality by pretending not to see that Emily is in a difficult place right now. Like Paige is really pushing the hard sell to Emily, maybe taking a year off college to train. And once again, I feel like everyone is deciding what Emily should do except for Emily. Uh, Geez, Emily eventually agrees to go to the meeting. Yeah, I I I hate to say this, but this is the this is this episode is is an example of why people don't like Paige, I think. Like Paige is I, I, and I and I understand what's going on for Paige in this in this episode. Like she is trying everything she can to hold together like with with tape and glue and just, you know, sheer sheer endless optimism like to tape together this future that she wants with Emily. But like She's not consulting Emily on any of it. And then is like, she like lies. Like she lies to, and puts Emily in this really awful position with the trainer. Um, And I like surprise parties, like a surprise party for your girlfriend. Who's like 
menaced by people jumping out at her all the time. Like, maybe not the best choice, Paige. I think there could also be an argument made that Paige kind of, whether consciously or subconsciously, plans this party because she knows that Emily is going to be really mad and, like, Emily can't be really mad at her at a party. Um, And so I just, yeah, this is... This is not the best page move. We've talked before about like how I actually, I have been surprised at how much I like Paley doing the close rewatch that we've been doing uh, because this Paley in this episode is like the Paley that I always remember, like where they're both on, they're both in really different places and they're not communicating well. And they just like constantly have friction uh, and treat each other, you know, rather poorly uh, this is like the Paley that I kind of like have in my head as Paley. But honestly, this this stage of them only lasts for a short time uh, before like their next breakup is is going to be coming down the pike. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I mean, Emily is re- very reluctant, obviously, in all of these future conversations other than, you know, the one with <laughs> with Rumor Willis last week. Like, in all the page-related conversations, she's super reluctant to, to talk about it or to plan. Um, and I think that there's a lot that goes into that. I definitely think the idea that Allison is maybe not alive is a factor, whether Emily is aware of that or not. Um, but I also think, like, you know, this is this is a very common dynamic where, like, in in romantic relationships and friendships where, like, one person is pushing and it and the other person is pulling away and it just like that, that becomes the dynamic. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like this dynamic is like, it is not that different from someone who like wants to get married to save the relationship or wants to have a baby to save the marriage. Like, you know, like that's going to be the the agent of change that fixes everything. And like, I think I have in, in my notes actually later when we're talking about them, like, it's, it's not magic. There's no magic solution. Like, relationships take work. And at the end of the day, Emily is not willing to put that in here. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Paige can't make, you know, she can't make Emily into this, you know, version of Emily that's going to be in it 100% with her as much as she clearly wants to. Also, I did not remember that in the little box was just going to be a business card for the swim coach. When I first saw the little box, I was like, Paige did not. Did she give her a friendship bracelet? No, no, it was not that. It was the business card. I mean, Paige is at the point now where I wouldn't be surprised if it was an engagement ring. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. To keep Emily there. Like, Paige is absolutely the kind of person that would, like, try to get engaged to, uh, to her high school girlfriend, Emily Fields, like, right, right at this moment. She is. She is indeed. Yeah. Um, So over at the brew, Karate Jake would really enjoy being Arya's protector for one more night. But she says that Byron is coming home and they are going to have a family movie night. We're going to have to follow up on that later because later, um, Emily or Jake believes that Aria was like lying to him. I honestly think that Aria forgot that it was Emily's birthday. Like I would, not, <laughs> I I would not be surprised if she just completely forgot. Okay, we'll talk about that later because I have some evidence that I think contradicts that. But go go on. Is it the present? Is it the the photo? The photograph? No. Okay. No, but it's okay. related to that scene. Okay. 
Um, so we go over to another table at the brew where Prezra can't focus on Maggie's grad school news for even a second because he is too preoccupied spying on his underage ex-girlfriend and her new not-boyfriend. Uh, but he lights back up to the conversation when Maggie mentions that uh, she wants to move to Seattle because she got accepted at the University of Washington. Um, I had kind of forgotten momentarily where this storyline went. Um, and so I thought for a minute that it was going to be a thing where, like, Prezra had to consider moving to Seattle. And all I had to say to that was, like, stay away, Mr. <laughs> But Maggie wants to move with Malcolm to Seattle, uh, but Prezra immediately cannot handle the prospect of not seeing his new fake son every single day for all time and getting all of the the dad points that comes with that. Yeah, he uh, he serves up a heaping helping of his seething resentment with a generous side of petulant baby man face. Uh, as Maggie tells him about this development. Also, it's like, I, I mean, Maggie has like talked before about going to grad school. So it's just like a sign of how little attention Prezra pays when the women folk are talking about who knows, whatever it is they yammer on about, uh, that he had no idea that she had applied to a school uh, that was on the other side of the country. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like this would be this would be a process. And um, it's clear that it's clear that Prezra is just like yeah, completely tuned out every time she talks about it. Uh, Ashley is meeting with Hannah and Veronica as they discuss why Mona would confess to Wilden's murder if she didn't do it. Uh, but her action has created enough doubt that the judge has finally agreed to set bail in Ashley's case and stop her transfer to the state prison. The bad news, because Wilden was a cop, bail is set at $1 million. Abolish cash bail! Yeah, um, it it was great. I loved that Hannah's first reaction was to defend Mona in this scene. You know, like, like Ashley is like, what is she doing? And, Mona, and Hannah's like, I think she was just trying to help. Like, she's just, she she sees the good in Mona. And Mona, like, Mona was subbing in for Hannah. This was Hannah's whole plan. Uh, so Hannah is also, like, defending herself. Like, what a helpful gesture. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so over, oh, oh, and I took the note, too. Like, it's time for Hannah to kill an old lady and, like, <laughs> and maybe a fake architect along the way. <laughs> Um, so Emily is finishing a tour of these Olympic facilities with the new trainer, um, which really, have you seen that documentary? Uh, I think it's called Athlete A on Netflix. About, no. Oh, it is, uh, you will never look at the Olympics the same way again. I mean, obviously this is, it's not the only place where this information is coming out, but it, 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 it talks about the, um, the, the sexual assault that was happening on the U.S. women's gymnastics team. Uh, but kind of uses uh, that as a way to illustrate the larger point of like how um, incredibly like th just the incredibly like fucked up and abusive dynamics that happen to people on Olympic teams. So anyway, this was all just all generally I found quite chilling as Emily is like excitedly hearing about the ways in which every single part of her body and life and sleeping habits and everything will be extremely closely monitored. Um, it's Paige, we learn, has like already basically, you know signed 
or you know given given Emily's dowry to this dude like there she's she's kind of signed Emily's future away here um he describes the extremely rigorous training regimen uh Emily says that she is up for being a hard worker and prepares to show off her recruitment video which like we will come back to this scene like much later in this episode and this scene is still going on like I feel like something something happened in the editing of this episode <laughs> <laughs> we go through a yes. lot to back here. <laughs> <laughs> we do. It's so true. Uh, also, this swim coach uh, is dressed like he just finished being background extra mob guy on The Sopranos. <laughs> yes, but yes, Emily yes, like doesn't seem to find his dress or manner unusual, uh, even though they both signal that he may have just wandered out of the bada bing. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. That is very true. Uh, so uh, Hannah is at a park arguing on the phone with her dad, who, again, does not appear in person for this conversation. Uh, she needs him to put up 10%, uh, which would be enough to get Ashley bonded out. Uh, but Tom is unwilling or unable to help. Uh, Hannah then runs into Pastor Ted, uh, fresh from a softball game, because remember, he's like, the, you know, fun athletic church guy. Uh, and this is actually like, this is actually the first scene of his that I haven't been like primarily bored or annoyed with him uh, because he talks to Hannah and he lets her talk to him uh, as she confides her fears for her mom and also for herself. Uh, he tells her to have faith and Hannah being Hannah says she doesn't need faith. She needs money. Uh, side note, does anyone else think that Tom Marin is broke? Like he's living off a bunch of credit cards because that dude never has money for anything despite leading a pretty opulent lifestyle. Uh, he, he doesn't have money when Ashley asks him for money to pay Wilden to disappear. He doesn't have money to help bail Ashley out of jail. He's not going to have money to send Hannah to college. Like what? What's up? I think he is, uh, I, I think he's, like, embezzling or living off credit cards. That is my, like, we're going to see him on American Greed someday. Uh, anyway, uh, P.S. Caleb is trying to sell his car. Uh, and even if Tom didn't, like, want to help himself, he could probably assist Hannah in raising the money other ways. Like, she could use the Marin house to get money, either with, like, refinancing or using it as collateral on a loan. Uh, so that's something that he could do if he was compelled to, but... Nope, he's just useless. Yeah, I yeah, I feel like this is one of those PLL storylines where like they need it to be a thing where the only person that can pay the bail money is Pastor Ted, uh, because like that's the story they wanted to tell. Um, and so it's like there's all these things where it's like, where is where is like Grandma Marin, who's apparently so close with Ashley, like where are any of the liar other liar parents like there are i feel like there are other adults in hannah's orbit um but my god yeah caleb trying to sell his car like these teens are just seriously fending for themselves well caleb is trying to sell his car couldn't caleb ask his mom who's extremely rich to like help him with this or like you know could hannah go to noel khan who like his parents own half of rhode island like yeah, I, I feel like there are maybe some other avenues that could have been explored, but you're right. The story that they want to tell in, in the sense that money is or isn't real here uh, is that that Pastor Ted is going to be the hero. My God, we know the Hastings are like pulling for Ashley. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. where are the Hastings? Um, yeah, it's um, 
it's it, it, I felt like I mean I agree Pastor Ted is less annoying than he usually is I feel like his words about like Ashley's strong and we'll get through this like I don't know I think a pastor could like maybe offer a little bit more like specific comfort but um I, I do appreciate that he like is giving Hannah he it's we get the impression that he has been reaching out but has also been giving Hannah space and that is that is a good thing yeah, I didn't really like it when he like touched her arm, but that's like that's like kind of a pastory move as well. Yes, he's a cool pastor. He's a pastor who surfs and <laughs> like like the English teacher who wears jeans. Oh, speaking of inappropriate English teachers, um, Prezra is packing up a puzzle at his apartment while suggesting that Malcolm should really stay with him while Maggie goes apartment hunting in Seattle. Uh, she relents while he tells her what a terrible mother she's being by uprooting her son. Her son, who just adapted to a move, what, less than a month ago? How settled in can he possibly be? Uh, Presser is acting like like Malcolm, you know, has never left the town square of Rosewood. Like, this kid just got to town. All he has is a karate cubby and not much else. Um, but Prezra suggests that Malcolm should stay with him since it's equally important for Prezra to get time with the son he's known for eh, maybe a month. He then calls Maggie out for his mother's schemes with regard to him not knowing about his son. Maggie, like really rightfully and good for her, says that actually Malcolm should, uh, should come with her for the weekend uh, in Seattle. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I the when he says whose fault was that? Uh, it's like, well, you know, like yeah, you had absolutely no way of ever looking this woman up or tracking her down at your disposal during those whole seven years. You know, nope, nope, no way you could have done it. Not, not at all. Not at all. It's it's an impossibility. Oh my god, this dude. Ugh. Um. Sparia are having a walk and talk, bashing Mona and worrying that she's going to claim they bullied her into confessing. Arya shows Spencer a picture she took of Emily and Paige that is not yet wrapped, but is apparently her present for the party Paige is throwing at the lake house. Spencer thinks the party is a bad idea. And then Arya says, well, Emily's been living like a refugee for days now. Paige must think she deserves a slice of cake. This makes me theorize that the party may have actually been Arya's idea, honestly. <laughs> because Arya is, like, really the only one who is, like, showing any enthusiasm for or making an argument in favor of it. Uh, plus, she's, like, the unofficial co-host instead of any of the other liars. So I, I think that the party might have been something that Arya pitched to Paige. <laughs> oh, my God. Arya, like... Arya at the party is just Arya's like Arya was great at Jenna's party. She's great at Emily's party. Like Arya just should be at all of the parties because it brings out it brings out a side of her that is extremely unhinged and extremely entertaining. Yeah, it really like leans into the manic part of the manic pixie dream girl uh, side of Arya. Um, but also like you know. When when Arya says that Emily has been living like a refugee, 
Uh, Spencer has a barn and a lake house, and no adults are currently living with Hannah at this moment. So I'm just saying that there are some non-motel housing options that could be put in play here, liars. Uh, but just as just as they're about to head to the lake house to help get things ready, they stumble upon Jenna and Shauna having a quiet argument in the courtyard. Yeah, Jenna, who is like very like very obviously the actress who plays Jenna is pregnant in this in this whole section of the series. And um, yes, it's man, Team Sparia though, like they just they have some bad takes here because. Spencer brings up that Mona said that they bullied her, which you did, Spencer. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, you guys were active bullies to Mona when Allison was alive. Like, maybe you maybe you changed your ways and and not, you know, that's not to say that everything that Mona did to them was warranted. But like, yes, you guys did bully her. That's part of why she said that you bullied her. Um, And also, like, once again, Shauna and Jenna, like, I everything about like the Sean like Sparia's reaction to Shauna and Jenna are they just so fascinated by Shauna and Jenna in this episode because they like just long to acknowledge their queer feelings for each other because they're just like they're just obsessed with those two and Shauna and Jenna don't even care about them at all in this episode like they're just trying to get away from them and like not be bothered by these ridiculous girls who are like following them all over the place Okay, I'm going to tell you something, which is that I am a viewer. Uh, Obviously, I I watch a lot of TV. Uh, If the producers are trying to fool the audience into not realizing an actress is pregnant, they will fool me every time. I never notice if someone is pregnant. I did not notice until this moment where you you just said that, that Jenna is obviously pregnant. Um, when you said it, I was like, oh, that's why she looks so bloated when they pull her out of the water. I just thought she, I, I just thought that was, like, realistic. She was, like, just almost drowned or whatever. She's in, like, maternity wear this whole episode. And, like, Sean I, is, like, looking her around like she's about to pop. I, <laughs> I am easily fooled. Uh, we, yeah. we watched, uh, we watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine recently, and at one point, uh, my partner was like, oh, yeah, well, like, the actress who plays Amy was, like, obviously pregnant that season, and I was like, she was? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, you didn't notice that she had, like, one million giant bags that she was always carrying, and that she was, like, constantly positioned weirdly, like, behind filing cabinets and desks, and I was like, no, I really didn't. She's like, remember on the cruise episode when her handbag was like the size of a car? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I guess now that you mention it, it's like now that you mention it, I can see it. But like, I will literally never suspect that someone <laughs> is pregnant. Um, I, that's just how it goes. Well, I mean, that's great. Like you're you're, you're buying into the magic of TV, that's right? The, you're not believing. The willful suspension of disbelief. How how could Jenna be pregnant? She's dating Shauna. Like, did they do IVF? Did someone steal some eggs? What's happening? It's Ren's baby. They're all Ren. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Just, just you know, just yeah. Well, well, now you, yeah, now you could be on. Well, see, I think that that's why they brought in Shauna. I think that's part of why they bring in Shauna so much at this point is because like the actress who played Jenna like couldn't, you know, she was like having children and like kind of occupied with that uh, so I think that that's well, part of why they brought in Shauna as like a Jenna proxy 
I even, I did notice that, like, Shauna was leading Jenna around weirdly in this episode, but I thought it was, like, part of them showing Jenna's, like, vulnerability uh, as she's, like, losing her sight, and it was, like, a character thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that is in here, because, it, oh, boy, like, they, the liars are, like, super problematic when it comes to talk, <laughs> talking about Jenna's magically returned blindness in this episode. Like, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. Uh, so the, the conversation, did we talk about the conversation oh, that the two yeah. of them are having? Right. So Jenna, so Shauna and Jenna, they're, they are talking about Jenna's concern, uh, about looking like she's hiding things from the cop. Uh, Shauna says that she won't leave Jenna's side and that this will all be over soon. She just needs to quote, find out where she is, which later the liars will theorize about, um, who, who she might be referring to. Yes, yes. Uh, and then my note here is like, this is a strange scene because Jenna always seemed to have like supernatural sense senses before. So it's interesting to see her see seem more vulnerable here. She relies on Shauna's arm to be led away. But now uh, that wow, a PLL mystery solved by <laughs> Nina, <laughs> the pregnancy detective. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Hannah is lining up a bunch of takeouts, and Ashley and Veronica walk in. Uh, her mom is free and wearing a beautiful white sweater to denote that she is innocent as a lamb. Uh, they hug and are so happy. Ashley's ankle monitor beeps, and Veronica reviews the info that Ashley can only leave the house for medical or court appointments, and that the monitor also apparently prohibits her from drinking. Yikes! Uh, we learn that the bail was posted anonymously, and the Marin women think that it must be how Tom got around Isabel. God, like, they, even in their, like, fantasy versions of, like, the best version of Tom, he's still, like, such a little... <laughs> You know, yes, like, Tom, our yes. savior, who like couldn't have a conversation with his wife. Um, but <laughs> does the ankle monitor? I feel like the ankle monitor feels like it's treated like Chekhov's gun in this episode. Like, there's a lot of attention paid to the ankle monitor. Do you remember? Does it? it, it does it play a? Like, does it go oh, off at some point? Or I, I had that same thought. Like, what's gonna happen with this? Um, Okay. But I don't I don't know. Like I don't remember if it does come into play ever. But like like this the ankle monitor is like also like a booze sniffing dog or something. Like even the smell of Chardonnay is gonna send it off and it's gonna beep and like it's probably a really advanced model that would teleport Ashley immediately back to jail. Yeah, I feel like they needed a line like, oh, well, we're like you also have like a breathalyzer that you have to breathe into hourly or something like that. Yeah. But poor Ashley, like all she wants was is Chardonnay. Like she zooms right in on that. She's like, whiff of Chardonnay, you know, just looking at this bottle and alas. Sorry, Ashley. Yeah. I I mean we all know it was not going to just be a whiff, however. Yes, this is this is Ashley we're talking about. Will it will it detect detect a glug of Chardonnay as she pours like the entire bottle down her throat? Yeah, without taking a breath. Mm. Um, I do. It's so sweet though to see Hannah and Ashley like laughing and smiling and hugging each other. You know, Hannah asks if Ashley got a tattoo. 
Um, and just, yeah, the two of them are like very, very, very sweet. And it's so good to see Ashley out of the orange jumpsuit. Yes. Yes. Agree. So back at the uh, training facility, with which Emily is somehow still at. Like, we've had, like, at least a third of the episode, I think, go by. And Emily is still watching this video. Um, the trainer, who I just get a weird vibe from. I don't know about you. Like, I just don't get good vibes from this guy. But he is critiquing every single second of Emily's tape. Um, he says that she has potential despite some bad habits. She says that she would like to start as soon as her shoulder heals. But we learn that Paige has not told him about the shoulder injury. He says that he can't help her um, or ensure that she will be able to be ready for next year's scholarships. They've lost a bunch of time already. He apologizes while lightly throwing Paige under the bus for having not clued him in on Emily's injury. Oh, man, Paige, like, this was a this was a bad, bad move, my friend. Yeah, this is, like, a really, really shitty birthday present. Like, not only should she have actually, like, bought her something other than, like, setting up uh, this meeting, but, like, Paige has to know that this meeting is not going to go well because yeah. of Emily's shoulder. Like, you know, that, that without everybody knowing about that, that, this moment is, like, destined to happen. So, yeah, that's that's rough. That's really rough. Yeah, I mean, she's she has set both of the people up in this meeting for failure, which is um, really unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Sparia are setting out fruit and crackers while talking about taking advantage of Jenna's, Jenna's vulnerability uh, if they can pry her away from Shauna. We learn that Toby has found out a lot of nothing that matters. A girl rented apartment and a P.O. box, egads, uh, and he is now on his way back from New York. Uh, Paige comes in, needing them to, like, unspecifiedly hurry. Uh, Spencer and Arya ask if, ask if Paige invited the whole swim team. Paige did, but says she made it clear to Shauna that she was unwelcome. Spencer and Arya want her to undo that part and get Shauna to come so that Jenna will also show up. Because it ain't no party unless Spencer can do some a hunting party. <laughs> it's true. Um, oh man, though, like so, you know, they say like, okay, well, the only way to talk to Jenna is if we get Shauna away from her. You know, Jenna is very vulnerable. Should they believe that she will tell them the truth? Like once again, Shauna is being cast as a villain for no reason. Um, and like, I feel like the, their queer relationship is being treated as like the obstacle to Jenna being honest, uh, which is just really another example, as we've talked about, of like queerness kind of being treated as, you know, akin to villainy in some way. Um, also, it seems like Shauna is the one that they should talk to. Like, have, has anybody actually tried just asking Jana, Shauna a straightforward question about any of this? Because it seems like she might have more information than Jenna at this point. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, the whole, like, Jenna is blind now, like, blind again now, like, I just, there's, you know, PLL is not treating any of this with any amount of, like, delicacy or accuracy, um, because I don't think it just, like, comes and goes like the wind, the way that they're treating it. Well, right, and the liars are being really rude about it, considering it is actually their fault that, that Jenna is blind to begin with. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Ugh. Liars. 
Flyers. Oh, boy. Wow. So, Prezra is getting lawyer names from Veronica to uh, apparently, like, we don't actually know exactly if he's suing for full custody. Uh, I'm assuming that that's what he's suing for. Um, But he thinks he apparently has a chance of getting this, which, like, yeah, slim chance, buddy. Um, Prezra is super defensive with Veronica, even as she just starts to, like, explain the odds and lay out the battle that this will be. Um, has Prezra, like, tried having a real non-defensive conversation with Maggie about any of this? Because it sure doesn't seem so. And also, like, what, like you pointed out earlier, what did he think was going to happen when Maggie was applying to grad schools around the country? Like, have they had any conversations about Maggie's future? And also, why does Prezra need to stay in Rosewood? Like, it's it just seems like there's no reason why he couldn't move somewhere. Um, other than that, he wants this whole relationship to be on his terms. Um, Veronica warns him that this will be a battle, but he wants to do this because all he cares about is winning. Uh, doesn't matter, you know, his son's feelings or his uh, son's mother's feelings. It's just about him getting to have his way right now. Uh, one little piece of information that we learn in this scene is that Prezra is not listed as the father on Malcolm's birth certificate. And one of the steps uh, of this custody battle will be establishing paternity. Yes. Uh, the fact that Prezra just goes and barges in on Veronica at home to get this information is just like such a sign of his entitlement uh, and also his creepiness that he's just like, you know, imagine if Spencer found him in her house talking to her mom. Like, uh, it's just it's just pretty gross. Uh, also, he hasn't, like, been around his son for seven years, and now he's gone from, like, zero to needing to control this woman's life in, like, 0.5 seconds. Uh, the thing he doesn't like here, it's not even about her going to Washington. It's about her, like, developing a plan for her and her son to be independent of him, to not need to be living in his apartment, to not need to, like, be dependent on his financial largesse. Uh, and that's what he really doesn't like. Plus, he could move to Washington. He certainly doesn't have uh, anything keeping him here except his desire to hook up again with his high school uh, underage girlfriend who he's teaching and also his true crime book that he's writing while spying on everyone in town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes it so clear that like what's keeping him here is his obsession with Aria and the liars and, and Allison. Yeah. 100%. And also, like, no one, Malcolm is certainly old enough that he could, like, be talked to about this and what his feelings are. And, like, literally no one, like, in this conversation, like, inquires what would be best for Malcolm. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Oh, Oh, boy. Back at the lake house, Spencer and Aria are co-hosting which in Spencer's case means policing the guacamole and in Aria's case means telling everyone to hide and spotting that Karate Jake is here at the party with a blonde girl swimmer. Uh, Everyone crouches down, the lights are turned off, and this frankly does not seem like good hiding to me, but it works well enough to fool Emily. Uh, the, The woman of the hour arrives in a big mood and the first words out of her mouth are why did you lie to Dominic 
just as all of the clearly visible hidden masses <laughs> jump out and yell, surprise! Like, literally, you can see them in the camera <laughs> shot over Paige's shoulder when Emily comes in. Um, which, which basically means that, like, A could, like, hide a whole army of minions in any house that the liars are walking into, and they'll just be like, da 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 da, -da why'd you lie to Dominic? Anyway, uh, surprise! Uh, Paley cannot finish their conversation uh, as all of the assembled guests with Spencer and Aria in the lead come over to hug Emily and wish her happy birthday. Do you think that Paige planned this party? Like, do you think that Paige sort of sequenced this day out because she knew on some level that, like, she was putting Emily in a really shitty situation and that this was sort of a cover for that? I had not thought of that, but it seems like a really bad idea because... She has to know the chances that Emily is also going to be mad about the surprise party are kind of high. So I don't think it's really a great idea to, like, do one shitty thing and then to try to, like, get yourself out of that by doing a second shitty thing. Uh, especially when they're both things that, like, override the known wishes of your partner. That just seems like a bad, a bad plan. One thought that I had about this episode, and, and we talked about like Marlene's weird interview where she said that Emily and Paige had sex on the ghost train. And like, you know, did that happen? Did that not happen? What does that mean? I actually think that this episode makes a lot more sense if this was going to be like the big night, if this was going to be the night that Paley had sex, because yeah. like there's this lake house and they, they're, like, alone, but instead of, like, like maybe Paige is, like, so nervous about that that she, like, that, that she, like, makes there be this whole surprise party situation. Or, like, maybe, like maybe, like, <laughs> or maybe, like, Paige, like, confided to Arya that she was nervous about this, and Arya's solution was, like, I know! <laughs> maybe Paige was, like, if I can just, like, maybe get Spencer and Arya here earlier and, like, practice with them, then I'll be, like, <laughs> really ready by the time Emily arrives. Yeah, like, they were gonna give her pointers. Like, that was actually supposed to be, like, their helpful nature at the party tonight. Yeah, I mean, then that would really explain Emily's mood, because, like, not only is she upset about being lied to, uh, but she's, like, very sexually frustrated. <laughs> right, right. I So I think that there's, like, possibly a narrative here uh, where maybe they were going to have sex and then, like, whether for the first time or not for the first time. But it definitely seems like two teenagers who have, like, access to this, like, you know, fancy lake house for a night. And it's, like, the night before Emily's birthday and they're both going to be sleeping there. Like, that, that just seems to, like, lend itself to a certain narrative, I feel. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting, like, when we... <laughs> PLL recycling storylines when they had the Caleb birthday party uh, like whenever that was in like season two I think um, and it was like Hannah suddenly like midway through that episode is like <laughs> all other missions Caleb must have a birthday party and it must happen at Spencer's Lake House and it, I must post it tonight like it felt really weird and like kind of just and out of character party. I actually kind of feel like the page throwing Emily the surprise birthday party sort of works in the context of like a character moment, like where Paige as a character is right now, because like, pa like Paige has been 
constantly downplaying and denying all of the stuff that's actually going on for Emily and like wearing rose colored glasses through this entire relationship and just kind of like, you know, la 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 la, like whistling through a graveyard, um, pretending that everything is fine. And the other thing that she has been doing is sort of, you know, pushing Emily into like the, the form of the version of the girlfriend that Paige wants Emily to be. And I feel like both of those characteristics fit in really well with Paige throwing this big surprise party that Emily did not want want or ask for. Well, also, I think that, like, we've talked before about how Paige, like you were saying, like, Paley feels like the most real relationship. Uh, like, it, the re- relationship exists in reality and it has consequences and it has, like, other things that the other pairings don't always get. Uh, and I think that Paige, like, in, in, in this heightened reality that everyone else is living in Paige lives in a world that's much more the real world like she deals with a lot more uh in terms of like lasting effects when something you know when something from the liar world happens to her like she gets kidnapped by Lyndon or you know other other things that happen to her throughout the show um and I feel like it's very realistic that like somebody who is a teenager and who is in their first major relationship, especially like a queer relationship and like doesn't really have a roadmap to navigate that, Mm -hmm. uh, that you could like Paige right now is falling into grand gestures. Like she doesn't really know how to be in this relationship. She doesn't know how to maintain the relationship. She doesn't know how to talk to Emily about what's going on in their relationship. So she's doing stuff like designing their dorm room and planning their future at Stanford and making Emily go see this trainer and like having this like big show of love of like organizing this entire birthday party uh, when like none of that is actually what Emily needs. But Paige just hasn't like taken a breath to really like process that or figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I think that all of that is super true. And I think, like, specifically with the two of them, like, Paige Paige is kind of always dancing as fast as she can, trying to keep Emily close. Because I think think that, and this is where I actually think Paige's overall arc is really beautiful, because I think that one of the consistent things with Paige in the, um, definitely in the early part of the show, but even in, we definitely see it here too, like, on some level she doesn't feel like she deserves Emily like she feels like Emily and it's not even Emily it's the idea of Emily right it's like what Emily represents like Emily represents you know whatever this this purity or this beauty or this sort of um unattainability that is so captivating to Paige much in the same way that you know Allison represents something very similar for Emily and I think that there's there's definitely that element of like she's spent so long wanting it that she hasn't really slowed down to, to think about like what it would be like to actually have and what it would be like to actually be in the relationship with Emily and like how, how to make that work in the, in the day to day um, and not just sort of exist in this heightened space of like, I am going to do everything I can to make sure that you do not leave me. Um, And I also think that like Paige needs her own friends like, we don't really see Paige, like, having um, friends. I mean, presumably she's sort of friends with people on the swim team. But, like, I feel like a lot of those people are probably, like, Emily's. Like, people who, like, hang out with Emily. And then it's like, oh, hey, Paige. Like, I don't 
I don't really get the sense that like Paige has close bonds on the swim team. And I feel like Paige, like she needs her own group. She needs her own, her own friend group. Don't you think? Yeah, I really, I really agree. I think she could use some other queer friends uh, specifically. Maybe she could like, you know, I know she didn't take well to like Samara, but maybe she could find like the poker playing uh, private school lesbians and, and hang out with them a little bit. But it's like all of the liar parties, like including Caleb's party, like there are all these other friends who always come. Like they're just like, it's kind of like the moving forest in Macbeth. It's like the moving party of Rosewood. Like all of a sudden there are like these 50 partiers at Noel's cabin. All of a sudden there are these 50 partiers at any lake house where a party is and someone's almost murdered. Like they just all, they just all show up. We don't know who they are. We never really see the liars talk to them. Uh, they never interact with the liars otherwise, but here they are. They are ready to party. Yeah, yeah. Well, later, um, later when like the cake comes out, and it's like I don't know. I feel like it's like a bad scene out of like a Buffy episode or something, where it's like must have cake. Like they all just like <laughs> scorn the cake. <laughs> Oh my god, I have that same note, like as if it's a four-year-old's birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> like, cake? It's like they needed to have it be like, we brought the cake, guys. Like, come on, like these are teenagers. <laughs> oh man. So d- oh, go ahead. ahead. You go ahead. No, I was gonna ask if you want to take us back from the commercial, still at the party. I've been here at the party all by myself. You should get yes. a little bit of party. I'll, I want to. I want to show up to the party. I was just gonna say, like, it feels very Paige to like not know how to throw like a teenage party <laughs> and like to like get like party hats and like like party favors and like a you know like a like a cake and like not like I could very much see everybody showing up and like Paige has not. They're like, there's no alcohol at this party. And people are like, what? Like, no wonder poor Bridget Wu has to try to make a bong out of a teapot. Like, come on. Um, anyway. No, I assume that there is alcohol at the party. Because everybody is drinking out of those plastic cups. Unless there's yeah. just, like, fruit punch. Yeah. No, I, no, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. Um, I'm just saying, like, this is not a, this is not a Noel Khan party. I feel like Noel Khan would have some notes for Paige. Oh, 100%. 100% he would. Yeah, and like, where's that weird Annie Leibovitz knockoff to take pictures? Where is Laurel Tuckman? Where, right, where is she, and where is Noel himself? Like, the party king of Rosewood just didn't get invited? Rude. (laughs) Also, like, Caleb isn't even at this party? Like, (laughs) Hannah's not even at the party. I mean, I guess that Hannah has, like, a lot going on, but, like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, the fact that, like, Hannah is not at Emily's birthday party just feels really, really wrong. Um, well, maybe Hannah, maybe Hannah alone was like, guys, this is a terrible plan. Emily, Emily will hate this and I want no part of it. Maybe, maybe Hannah was like the voice of reason on that score. Also, this party sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, maybe Hannah, maybe Hannah was just like, surprise parties are a bad idea. Last time we had one, I had the murder Lucas with an oar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's learned. She's learned from uh, from past mistakes. Um, yeah. How how are like in general like thoughts on? I, may, I think maybe we talked about this uh, during the Caleb episode. Like thoughts on surprise parties. I am I am anti surprise party. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think I've got to say. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know if this was true last time we talked about surprise parties or not, but some of my friends threw me a surprise party for my birthday last year. Oh. And it was an outdoor, it was an outdoor surprise party. And uh, it, it, there was a rainstorm. It was in the middle of a absolute downpour. Uh, so everyone was like shivering under this pavilion uh, and none of us could leave because of the sheets of rain uh, that were like penning us in. And at the time it was just like really funny. And I was like, I was very touched that like so many of my friends had like come out and were like hanging out and, there, and it got dark really quickly because of like the, the rain and stuff and there weren't really any lights. So it was like, <laughs> it was just it was really funny and I, I was very touched and like now this year being what it is I'm so glad that that happened sure uh, but but in general I think that if there's going to be a party I would rather plan the party than have the party be uh be thrust upon me yeah I'm I'm with you I'm with you there so uh later Paige is just like sort of hovering around Emily when she is pulled away by Aria because Bridget Wu is trying to make a bong out of a teapot. Um, Things are decidedly awkward uh, between Emily and Paige as, um, as, as when Paige walks away, Emily snarks to Aria about Paige being full of surprises. Uh, Aria tells her that Jenna is back and knocking into walls, which nice little ableist description you've got there, Aria. Yeah, really rude, especially like the liars just have collective amnesia that they really did bully Mona and they really did like participate in Jenna being blinded. Like they yes. they just are like really not accepting responsibility for any of their past deeds at all. Also the the body language between Paige and Emily is so frosty. Oh my goodness, like ranging between frosty and ice cold. Completely. Completely. Oh, so Pastor Ted, hip pastor, shows up on Ashley's doorstep with pie. Uh, He says he tried to visit her a few times, but they wouldn't let him in. Uh, He's sympathetic and even a little bit of, you know, a little bit charming here uh, when Ashley shows him her ankle monitor and he says everything looks good on her. Uh, He's respectful. He doesn't push. He acknowledges that she must have a lot of catching up to do with Hannah. Uh, I think the thing I like about him in this episode is that he's actually showing up for the Marin women here, which is something that Tom is absolutely not doing. Uh, at any rate, Ashley, uh, despite the fact that, like, when he showed up at the door, like, Ashley kind of looked at him like, oh, this guy, she kind of, like, forgot that she had a boyfriend that she didn't really like that much. But, like, now here he is. And in addition to, like, being on trial for murder, she also has to deal with him. Like, that was kind of her look when she answered the door. But, like, by the time he's done with his spiel, she is inviting him in to eat pie. Yeah, no, I I felt the same way. I felt the same way about that look. Um yeah, it's it's uh, I, I kind of wish that she had consulted Hannah before inviting him in since this is like their their first night together. But I understand like I, I really actually I, I like Ashley's energy a lot in this episode because there's this real sense that she is like she is not taking anything for granted. And she's kind of got this like almost ethereal quality to her for a lot of the episode where she's just like, I am home. I get to sleep in my bed tonight. My daughter is here with me like. I'm I'm just gonna take a breath. I'm just gonna take a breath. And and after so many, uh, after really all season of her being so anxious, it's just really nice to see her 
being calm. And and I think, you know, one of the reasons for that is like she she has finally shared the truth. You know, she has finally like shared the truth, which is that and people are finally believing that like she actually did not kill Wilden. So. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I also think that like even though what's happening now is terrible, like Ashley is able to get the weight off her chest that like Wilden was corrupt and Wilden had been threatening her and Hannah. Like she so like that's a relief too that she's able to like tell that part of it to people and be believed. Yeah. Yeah, it is true. It is definitely true. Um, do you think that Ashley thinks that Mona killed Wilden? I think that Ashley from being in jail definitely feels like no one is going to risk going there unless they did it. So I think that Ashley definitely think that, thinks that it's possible that Mona did it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I, I, Veronica doesn't seem to though because of the, like, the facts that don't line up. Yeah, well, and I think that Mona probably included some facts that didn't line up, just so that, like, and she dropped that bit about how she snuck out of Radley so that they would know that she had, like, a past history of, like, mental health problems. Like, she, Mona was dropping breadcrumbs all along, it seemed like, so that she would be sent back to Radley. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, so, oh, God, like, Paige's way of getting, like, Paige, like, Paige, Paige, like, can't not lie to people in this episode. Like, her way of getting Shauna to come to this party was lying to Shauna to say that Colt Fulton was going to be there. And it's, like, very important that Shauna show up to this social gathering um, to, like, prove to the coach that she's, I don't know, a team player or something. Which is, like, this is just, like, leftover Prezra nonsense. Where it's, like, oh, like, my my teacher is going to be at my, you know, at, at their student's birthday party. And, like, my attendance at this party, you know, impacts, like, my ability to swim or not. Like, it's ridiculous. Why would the coach be here? And why would it matter if Shauna was present at a teammate's party? Um, I am, like, officially Team Shauna in all of this, <laughs> I have to say. Like, after this episode, I'm like, Shauna, like, I- I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, Jenna is, like, not so, – so Jenna and Shauna, anyway, they're at this party. Jenna is really not happy to be there, um, uh, understandably. Like, she does not want to be at this party. Um, she's feeling super vulnerable because she's secretly pregnant. And uh, <laughs> I <laughs> – I feel like this is, like, PLL's take on, like, this, ex- like, uh, like, they just have this, like, extremely, like, codependent dynamic going on right now. They are just attached at the hip at all times. Um, I, I, I uh, it's, like, not a great showing for, like, the, the queer couples um, <laughs> in this, in this particular episode. But um, it's, I also can understand from Jenna's perspective, like, that she'd want Shauna close by. I mean, Shauna seems to be the only person who actually is on Jenna's side. So it makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah. Yeah, Like on one hand, this is like an introvert and an extrovert arguing about if they're going to go to the party and how long they have to stay at the party. But on the other hand, Jenna makes a great point that like all of her mortal enemies are inside. So going to this party is just, it's not going to be high on her to-do list by any means. Yes. Yes. It is true. Uh, Inside, Aria is filling Spencer in on how she lied to Jake about her plans for tonight. And now Jake is here with another girl. So Aria is like filling Spencer in on the rom-com storyline. 
Uh, Spencer makes a big deal about the couch sleeping. Like, well, he slept on your couch last night, uh, which is weird. And I have to assume she's only doing that because that's how she and Hannah woke up today, etc. But then Shauna and Jenna walk in and there's no more time to care about Jake and the, quote, giraffe-legged swimmer that he is here with. Yeah, um, Spencer, like, she knows this leggy blonde on the swim team by name, which, um, hmm, interesting, Spencer. Also, once again, like, Spencer is, like, way too invested in Arya's love life, which, hmm, also interesting, Spencer. Um, And, like, Jake, who is, as far as we know, an adult man, just, like, goes after all the Rosewood High girls, I guess. Yeah, I, I have like a lot of questions about like is he a man is, is he like does he go to rosewood high like what i feel like his age is never really like determined here i feel like he doesn't go to rosewood high because he doesn't seem to have any connection to the school other than this this girl on the swim team but like he doesn't seem to know anything about like the Arya and Ezra relationship he doesn't seem to like know who Arya is or I mean if you went to Rosenheim you would know who Arya is um (laughs) I I mean maybe he's maybe it's like a Toby situation and like he like dropped out and became a you know teen karate instructor teen karate instructor they have all these like teen like ged programs in rosewood like the teen <laughs> carpenter track the teen hacker track the like teen karate instructor track do any of the men do any of the men on this show actually graduate high school or do they all like drop out and become like teen like like well yes i mean so toby weird. does not graduate and caleb does not graduate uh prezra presumably graduated from wherever he went to high school at um but yeah yeah that's uh allison we never actually see her graduate but presumably she does uh yeah i remember i when you were talking about that i just remembered (laughs) i just remembered when uh caleb is taking a test to like test out of high school and Allison is taking a test to test into high school and it's like the same test in the same testing room. <laughs> I thought you were going to point out when the time when Emily brings Sarah Harvey to Caleb like for career uh, uh, counseling. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. Good times. Uh, good times. <laughs> but now Jenna and Shauna are here and like the plan is on, I guess. Like Ari are acting like they have this, you know, super covert mission at play here, which never really materializes. <laughs> um, oh boy, this scene is real rough. Um, Emily is sitting mournfully at the dock. <laughs> Great way to spend your birthday party. Um, and Paige comes over and joins her. Paige says that she didn't tell Dominic the truth because she wanted him to see Emily. Emily says that for a minute she thought things could go back to the way they were. Paige says that they can find someone else who will train Emily in time for the scholarships. And Emily finally asks Paige why she's pushing so much, clarifying that it seems to be not just, um, it seems to be that it's Paige who really wants Emily to swim. Emily asks Paige what she thinks will happen if they don't go to Stanford together And Paige says that it's a lot of time and distance and a lot of things can happen. Emily says that they have to face the fact that they're not going to be together next year. 
Um, and like, oh man, like this just this seems like a really like kind of a rough, rough. I mean, a rough place for them. Like, it just seems like rather than making like outlandish plans about how they can like finagle Emily back into the pool and back over to Stanford, like. They could be making a new plan together, outlining how they could try to make their relationship work, or they could be talking about, like, how they can make the most of their relationship for the time they have. Um, But instead, they are just going to, like, sit here on this dock and cry and decide that, like, you know, they're not going to be together at some point in the future. So that means that, like, all is lost. Yeah, um, I mean, don't worry, guys. November is going to last another two years, so you really, like, don't have to, you don't have to address anything. Uh, But, yeah, I I agree that, like, it seems like maybe the lesson that they should be taking from this is, like, so we should really, like, make the most of our time together now uh, as opposed to, like, we're just going to be, like, if it's going to be ruined eventually, we might as well just declare it ruined, like, tonight. Yeah, and it it also seems to me that, like, something that they could do is talk about, like, like rather than them each kind of, like, Paige, like, making these plans for Emily, like, Paige could say to Emily, okay, what is it that you want? Like, independent of our relationship, like, what is it that you are envisioning for your future and, like, for your college experience? And then Paige can share what it is that she wants independent of their relationship. And then they can see, like, are there any, like, are there any points of crossover? Like, there are there any ways that we can kind of, like, not, not, like, you know, hang our whole lives on, oh, this is the future that we are absolutely building together because we will be together forever. But, like, what are some ways in which we could kind of, like, thread together elements of what we both want from our future if what we also want is to be together for the foreseeable future? Well, yeah, and, like, look what eventually winds up happening. Emily goes to school in California, and it's not Stanford. So, like, they are able to, like, see each other and be in the same area and have a relationship again. Yeah, exactly, which we never get to see. But allegedly, they have a whole, like, relationship together. Um, Yeah, so, yeah. And it also, like, you know, not, you know, Paige is going to, like, move away before graduation even. So, like, none of this, none of this is going to end up mattering. Oh, right, Paige... Paige doesn't graduate from Rosewood High either. Well, no, and also, like, they break up, and then they eventually get back together, but they break up when Allison comes back. So, like, there's there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of back and forth that will happen. Yeah, but, I mean, like we've said, like, this is, this is the kind of relationship that I remember really having. Like, this scene on the dock is a really good example of it. Um, and it's a shame because this patch only really lasts like a short while before they, they do split up. Um, but they're like, they're in different places. They're not communicating. They're both let down. The other person isn't the imaginary girlfriend they created in their head. And honestly, I think that Paige's intentions are good. Like she just wants Emily to be happy because she thinks that that's the key to holding on to her. But like, like we were saying before, like there's no magic solution here, like relationships, just take work and they require the ability to communicate openly and honestly and effectively. And Emily's not willing to put in any work here and like secrets as a way of life are just not a solid substitute for talking things out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Paige, like Paige, it seems like has come to the conclusion that like the only way to, you know, to make this happen is to kind of um, like, 
sort of it's almost like it's almost like a parent like sneaking vegetables into their child by like making like you know mashed potatoes that are actually like cauliflower like it's like it's like Paige is like I am going to like sneak the vegetables of our relationship into you um by like lying to you and like setting you up for these situations rather than either one of us like communicating clearly about what we want we Rachel Kincaid wrote a great piece for Autostraddle about um, the end of her marriage, and it was about how her marriage ended when, uh, for a long time, she had been doing all of the work. Like, she had been putting all of her effort into making it succeed all of the time, and, like, by main force, it, it, was, it was continuing. And then one night, uh, she and her partner got into an argument, and she just decided not to she decided like not to go into the other room and sit down and like work it all the way through she just decided like no this time i'm not gonna do that and that like started the spiral that like led to the end and so then she said like after they broke up she felt like how many other things in her life were only succeeding because she was like putting 24 7 effort into keeping them afloat and that is the place that Paige is in Paige is in the area of like, I have to like put the maximum effort in all the time. I have to keep this going by my own force of will because she senses that Emily, like if she dropped it, they would just never see each other. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. Um, But, but also she, I mean, I feel like at the same time she's doing that and yet she's also like not investing herself in the parts of Emily's life that are like really hard and complicated Mm-hmm. Um, par- partially, I mean, t- partially because Emily is like not really inviting her into those parts of her life too. Um, but yeah, like it just seems like anytime Emily is like, I'm worried about this thing, Paige is like, let's change the subject and talk about, talk about like how we're going to decorate our dorm room that we're definitely going to have together because we're definitely going to be in college together. <laughs> It's it's a shame sometimes that we are not video casting. Like when I roll up my sleeves to talk about like the queer looks or like when because you were doing like the page intense eyes just then. <laughs> like the dorm room they're definitely gonna have together. Um, yeah. That was that was very good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh man, so you know this party it is taking place before the pandemic. It is taking place when people can still have parties. And yet no one is having any fun. No one is having a good time in this party. It's Emily's party. It sucks. She's having a bad time. She's crying on the dock. Paige was throwing this party for her. She's having a terrible time. Ari is a co-host. She's having a bad time because she's stalking Jake and his giraffe-land girlfriend. Nobody's having any fun. Spencer is not having success hunting for A. Uh, Nobody's having a great time, including Jenna and Shauna. Jenna is nervous. Uh, she's nervouser when Spencer and Arya come over to needle her about her eyesight and transparently try to lure Shauna away for a team picture, despite the fact that, like, every other member of the team is clearly in the room, not outside, posing for a picture. Uh, Shauna demurs, but says she will join when the rest of the team's outside, meaning that now Spencer and Arya actually have to try and pull a team photo together after all. Yeah, yeah, and it's like phase one of Sparia's plan against Jenna and Shauna. Like, this is this is not their best plan. 
No, they, they no, they're both, the they're both very them. distracted. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so while Ted has hijacked Ashley and Hannah's reunion evening, no, that's probably not fair. Ashley did invite him in after all. Um, Hannah calls Tom once again to thank him for doing the least, which he did not do. Uh, she leaves a message and then Mona calls. And Hannah's first question is if Mona is okay. We see that Mona is packing a bag uh, and she says that she is okay, that the police need more proof before they can make a formal arrest. Mona asks if Ashley got out in a way that almost made it sound like Mona might have been the one somehow to post the bail, um, but she didn't. She uh, she tells Hannah, you're welcome, uh, and then hangs up and zips her bag, uh, which looks like it looks like she's on going to be on the run. Of course, we'll later find out what's actually happening, um, which like if she was going to be on the run, you would think that she was she would be a little bit more closely monitored. But um, of course, something else is actually happening here. Yeah, I like the way that Mona's voice as she's talking to Hannah is actually a little bit hard. And I feel like uh, we've talked before about like the many faces of Mona. And I feel like this is actually Mona talking to Hannah. But like the Mona that's talking to her is much more the Mona who is A sometimes. Like this is like this is like Mona with the plan uh, who's just like calling in a very business-like check-in on Hannah uh, as opposed to like the Mona who like because Mona has just done like this huge thing and Mona like can't let herself be vulnerable to Hannah right now if she's going to keep going down this path with her plan. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. I think that's a good that's a good call out on Mona's voice. Ah, uh, um, so oh god, um, Aria, Aria has an assignment. Her assignment is to be keeping an eye on Shauna and Jenna. Uh, but that's so Aria. She gets distracted by her non relationship drama. Uh, Jake comes over to talk to her and she does this elaborate pantomime of pretending she forgot all about this party and he tells her like she doesn't need to lie. Then she goes in on how he's there with Barbarella aka Kim and he calls her out on not wanting to invite him to the party but also not wanting him to be there with anybody else. Arya denies being jealous and they both repeat that they aren't dating just to drive that clearly irrelevant point home. Aria gets a text from Spencer that the team is getting ready for the picture. Don't let Jenna out of her sight. And Aria goes off having already sort of lost sight of both Shana and Jenna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like Aria, you know, of course, like Aria should never be the lookout because she's going to get distracted by like her weird little rom-com in the middle of the scene. Yeah, they never give her, like, the harder jobs because she is so easily distracted. But, like, lookout is actually a duty where, like, maybe looking out could be, like, a bigger part of the job description. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, um, you may have mentioned this, but, like, you know, Jake bringing one of Emily's teammates to Emily's party, like, as if he didn't want Aria to know. Like, come on, Jake. <laughs> yeah. Um, so back at the dock, Paige asks if Emily can fake it for tonight since there are a lot of people here who uh, are here to see her. Although nobody is like in the party being like, where's Emily? Like everybody just seems to be having a good time. Maybe like Noel Khan is there and he like, I don't know, is like started a rousing game of beer pong or something. Um, 
and uh, or or I guess truth. I guess that would be the that would be probably the game of choice. Um, and Emily and Paige sort of sadly walk back into the party together. Yeah, there is no physical contact between them, and Emily's body language is very much like "tuck me at your own peril" here. Yes, yes, agreed. Oh, um, back inside the party where no one's having any fun, Jenna wants to leave. They've been there for half an hour with no sign of the coach. She tells Shauna the other sharks can tell Coach Fulton she stopped by. Shauna agrees to depart. And then seeing that they're about to leave, Arya intercepts them uh, and, like, drops all pretense and wants to speak with Jenna alone. Uh, This doesn't fly. So she tries just going right for it, demanding that Jenna tell her whatever she knows about Allison because Arya was her best friend. Jenna is not into it and breaks away from Shauna to GTFO just as Paige comes out with a huge sheet cake with candles ablaze, announcing to everyone, it's time for cake! And everyone rushes over to see it like they are all four years old and in need (laughs) of a sugar high. This also, like, this also shows you that even the extras were not having any fun at this party. No one was doing a single thing at this party that was more fun than rushing over to look at the sheet cake. Yeah, I feel like Paige has, like, the energy of, like, uh, an exhausted mother. Like, she's like, just trying to hold it together. Like, she's just trying to make it through this party. Um, and she's like, cake, everybody, there's cake. Um, but also, like, what do you make of Arya making this, like, last-ditch, you know, a Hail Mary attempt to, like, appeal to Jenna's humanity? Like, this feels very out of character of the way they usually speak to Jenna. It is out of character, and also I feel like this is much more the way that Hannah would interact with Jenna than the way that Arya would. Um, Like, the the directness of it it seems very Hannah. Uh, Arya is also normally a lot better at interrogating people. Uh, uh, And Arya, like, Arya has, like, been friendlier towards Jenna than the other liars have in the past. Like, they were going to do that piece of music together uh, when when Jenna wanted to, like, play the flute and have Arya play keyboards. They took that pottery class together. Like, I feel like I feel like there is a well of, like, better nature that Arya could be trying to draw on here. But she just doesn't. She doesn't. She just she's pretty ineffective. And she seems like very desperate in this moment, um, which I, I don't know. I feel like the stakes of this are like not appropriately calibrated for them, like being at Emily's birthday party. <laughs> you know? True. Um, so Pastor Ted has to make a religious joke about the pie he brought uh, being the result of some divine intervention, a.k.a. a bakery that he went to. Um <laughs> Well, Ashley says that she wants to explain about Wilden. She tells him that she did things she's not proud of, and Wilden used that against her. Ted says that he knows she didn't kill him, but she says that she could have. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I just, the way that, like, their dynamic is constantly, like, Ashley having to atone for, like, being sort of, like, a quote-unquote, like, loose woman or, like, a woman without morals or something, and him kind of, like forgiving her like I just I'm not I'm not really very into that um he hugs her she cries uh he asks if he can drop off dinner and she invites him to do so only if he promises to stay 
Um, this, this seemed like it, this could be it. Like he could just walk out. Um, but he has to drop the knowledge on the way out the door that he, in fact, is the one who paid her bail. Don't run. I've got a lot riding on you, which is super creepy, I think. Like, I get that it is well-intentioned, but he just, this is one of those, like, good deeds that you just, you do and you don't mention it. Because now there's, like, this really weird power imbalance between them. And it's, like, he's, like, he's, like, paid to, like, have her out here so he can like be in her space like I just I'm just not not into him him telling her about it and like it it feels maybe it was one of those things where it's like he just was never planning on telling her and it slips out or something but it just feels really weird and manipulative and um like why even make it anonymous in the first place if you're planning on going and doing this yeah, I really, uh, yeah, I, I cannot argue with that at all. Uh, I had it in my notes that this is a super Lucasy thing to do uh, because he's like, he, what he wants here is to create this sense that Ashley is beholden to him, uh, yeah. and that really, that really undoes all of his good efforts. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yes, it definitely sets up this kind of like well, I did this thing for you. Like, what are you going to do for me? Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't love, like, I had really been, I had really been kind of liking him in this episode. And it's better to have posted her bail than to have, like, just left her in prison. But if you're going to do it anonymously, you better keep that anonymous. Like, you, you it's like, you're like tainting the generous nature of the gift if you're expecting something in return for your generosity, I feel. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's a way too that they could have gotten it across to us that like, yes, for sure, Pastor Ted paid Ashley's bail without him actually telling Ashley. Um, and I even feel like Ashley's face at the end of this scene, there seems to be this flash of like, oh God. Like, <laughs> like it's a little, it's a little serial killery, right? Like it's a little yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. Um, oh, oof. so back at the party, Emily has no problem bouncing from the cutting of her own birthday cake, which was made out to be <laughs> such a big moment. Uh, Emily like bounces from that to wander off with Aria so that they can look for Spencer, who is allegedly outside looking for Jenna. Uh, they walk outside calling for Spencer, but Arya's looking is quickly cut into by Jake, and they have another version of their earlier conversation, only this time outdoors. Emily continues to walk towards the water, where she catches sight of a brunette floating face down in the water. She freaks out and shouts Spencer's name, rushing into the shallows to pull her out, only to discover that it's Jenna! Karate Jake helps to drag Jenna back to shore. She isn't breathing. Shauna is beside herself. Someone call 911. Uh, gosh, I just can't imagine why Karate Jake suspects someone is menacing Arya. Can you? <laughs> Not at all. Um, yeah, I, this might be like the first time that Emily has been in the water since uh, since the injury. <laughs> Uh, and I, you know, I feel like when, when Emily sees that it's Jenna, like there's a split second where she considers dropping her back in before like realizing that that's, that's like bad form. Um, but uh, yeah. And, you know, poor Emily getting like caught in the crosshairs of their passive aggressive heterosexuality, wandering off to find Jenna floating in the lake. Um, 
Later, an ambulance has arrived, and Shauna is convinced that Jenna wouldn't have gone to the water by her by herself. Emily says that she thinks Jenna was hit in the head first, noting that there was blood on the back of her head. Uh, everyone looks around quite suspiciously as the ambulance drives off. And now I feel like there is a subtle um, Paige might have done it thing at the end of this episode. Oh, I'll yeah, get to that I, I kind of, I, I kind of agree with you there. I actually thought uh, it was kind of originally when when this episode aired, I was wondering if Spencer might have done it because Spencer was supposedly out there looking for Jenna. Like that's where we think that Spencer was, and then Jenna turns up floating in the water. Uh, so I felt like Spencer like potentially looked good for this uh, yeah. for a minute. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I. I could see it. I mean, Spencer is like oddly pretty absent for most of this episode. Yeah, we like we don't know where she is um, for for most of the party. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, Hannah is on the phone getting the latest on Jenna's near death experience. She hangs up quickly as Ashley comes in to tell her that she spoke to Tom, and of course that motherfucker did not put up the bail money. It was Ted. Uh, Hannah says he must really like her. Uh, Ashley uh, sits there and Hannah lays her head on her mom's lap as Ashley strokes her hair and Hannah asks what happens next. Ashley replies, they will worry about that tomorrow. And this is just like after all that they've been through in the past several episodes, this is just a balm to your soul to see the Marin women like back together in the house. Like Hannah is able to like just curl up on the bed and be mothered. And it's just really nice. And, like, you just wouldn't see this kind of scene. Like, the other liars have very different relationships with their parents. Um, But I just think this scene is, like, so sweet uh, between the two of them. And it's just, this is exactly what both of them need. Oh, I completely agree. And I I really like, um, even though I don't like that Ted told Ashley that he posted the bail for her. I really appreciate Ashley being honest with Hannah about it. And I also really love that we get to see Hannah's disappointment that like for, for a second, she could believe that like her father was coming through for them. Um, and this is like the last, the last little bit of her mourning her father. Um, Hannah needed to believe that her dad would actually do something kind. And of course he has not. Um, but it, it's it's okay because her mother is here finally. Like, finally she has Ashley back. Um, do we see Tom again until... Is the next time we see Tom when um, Hannah finds out that he will not be paying for her college? Did we even see him in that? Yeah, we do see him in that episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't see him again for quite some time yeah so it's like i feel like every time too it's like there's another layer of like hannah mourning um mourning you know that relationship oh yeah 100 percent. like it's it's weird who's in the show right now and who's not like like this is the season where uh both ella and byron like are not in the in the regular cast anymore uh mm-hmm. and it's also like Karate Jake has been around more this half season than Paige has. Uh, So it's like an interesting, it's like an interesting time in terms of who's here and who's not. And Tom was around 
so much and then he's going to be around so little uh so yeah yeah uh he he was in under the gun and then we're not going to see him again until out damned spot in 2015 and that's the only time we're going to see him for the rest of the show so yeah we have wow. one more tom Marin, and it's when he's being a disappointment about college that's so tom Marin. <laughs> uh, so uh Paige is making up the futon uh, for her and Emily. Uh, I, I guess, like, the party just kind of cleared out after the whole animal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, she seems to be trying to hold on to hope that no one hurt Jenna on purpose. Uh, maybe because Paige just needs to believe that, like, one thing didn't go terribly, horribly, like, evilly wrong on this day of all days. Um, or maybe because, like, the show is hinting that maybe Paige is evil because the show certainly loves to to throw those little uh, possible breadcrumbs out there. Um, but Emily very sort of stridently asserts that she thinks someone was trying to shut Jenna up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you're right about, like, they're still, they're always dangling the possibility that Paige could be evil uh, because Paige just, like, doesn't want to... She doesn't want to engage with any of the A stuff. Like, she really wants to believe that this could have been an accident. Uh, and she also doesn't want to believe, like, because the thing about Paige is, like, she went along with Spencer and Arya, like, making her have Shauna come. So, like, Paige should actually, like, really be feeling somewhat culpable for what happened. Because if it wasn't for the fact that she like called Shauna and lied to her about the swim coach coming, like Jenna wouldn't have been at the party and Jenna would not now be in the hospital. Good point. Very good point. Uh, also the way that like Emily says the word Allison here, like she is using the tone of voice that you use when you want to have a fight. <laughs> oh yeah. Emily, like she's just looking for anything to, to pick at Paige about. Yeah, it's, it's like one of those things where, like, they're not going to have a fight about Dominic or about, like, the actual issues at hand. They're going to have a fight because Emily stands up real straight and says, I think she knew something about Allison. And, like, just the word is, like, throwing down the gauntlet. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, she who shall not be named. <laughs> uh, in the Montgomery house, where Arya is, like, living alone, having been abandoned by her parents and having not yet noticed that Mike is presumably moved in with his boyfriend, uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she's offering Karate Jake some tea. Uh, he is shaken by how close Jenna was to dying, and he's beginning to see why Arya is so on edge all the time. They discuss how she was jealous earlier, then they kiss intensely on the couch. Yes, the uh, the lesbians who are in an actual relationship do not get to kiss in this episode. Uh, instead, Emily is pretending to be asleep while Paige climbs into bed beside her. A rough end to a rough day for these two. <laughs> yeah, it's also like it's also pretty brutal because Paige like asks Emily, "Are you asleep?" Which is the same thing that Allison says to Emily in Misty Times a Hundred. And Emily is not asleep either time, but she does not roll over and get it on with Paige McCullers here. That's a really good point. She's also not even, like, really hiding the fact that her eyes are open. Like, it is, it is, it is cold. It is ice cold. Yeah, it's like, it's not a very convincing pretending to be asleep. There's no sleepy breathing. There's no, like... Her eyes are open. 
Her eyes are wide open. This also speaks to the possibility that, like, this was leading up to, like, them having sex for the first time. And so, like, this was the big moment. And then Emily is just like, I'm going to pretend to be asleep. That's how little (laughs) I want you to touch me right now. I would have liked, I know that it's like nobody can talk about, like, whether two queer characters have sex on this show ever. So it's just this big giant mystery while like, you know, Hannah and Caleb get lyrics about coming inside scored behind (laughs) their obvious sex scenes. But like, I would have appreciated if um, that could have been more like in the text of the episode, because I think it would have added like another layer of stakes to all of the Paige and Emily scenes. But I mean, do you agree that it it seems like that might be like, a, a subplot here i i do but i don't think that it is like i think it's there if you're looking for it but i don't think that it's like unequivocally just there in the text yeah yeah that's i think that's fair uh at the hospital spencer runs up to shauna like spencer is like running pell-mell like oh oh emergency uh, up to shauna to ask a really important question, not about Jenna or whether she's okay or how Shauna is doing. No, Spencer's emergency question is, have you seen Toby? (laughs) (laughs) Shauna is like very unimpressed by that and says he's in with his parents and the doctors off in invisible land. Uh, Shauna is gonna wait for Jenna to wake up. She is still unconscious. Spencer presses to ask who did this. Was it Allison? Shauna says Allison is dead. And she is clearly like the character is clearly under orders to give Spencer nothing here. Uh, But after Spencer says either of them could be next, Shauna turns back and says the person that Jenna is so afraid of is C.C. Drake. Yeah, it's a great like spin and reveal like (gasps) C.C. Drake. Um, which is so funny because like Cece had that uh, not that long ago with also with Spencer where she was like Melissa or maybe it was with Hannah I don't remember it was like Melissa Hastings or it Emily. was it was Emily who took the picture <laughs> it took me three tries to get to get that one. Uh, in my mind it was yeah I don't know um, yeah it's like poor Shauna like she just wants to like deal with her girlfriend who like nearly drowned this night. And, like, Spencer is, like, coming in and making it all about her, which is, like, typical liar move here. Yeah. Indeed. Um, so back at Radley, Mona is being let into her room. She walks over to the desk and smiles as she, as she touches the Will the Circle Be Unbroken engraving. Um, and it's clear that, like, this was her whole plan, to which I ask... Why? Why is this Mona's plan? Well, I think that Mona knew there was a really good chance that she would be sent back to Radley instead of being put in jail. Um, And I think that obviously she would prefer that. And plus, like, Mona ruled the roost when she was in Radley. Like, she even told the detective at the beginning of this episode that she snuck out multiple times. So being in Radley doesn't really seem like it uh, restricts Mona's, you know, actions or plans in any way. But 
like, I think also Mona could be on the inside doing, like, her own investigation. Like, whether she's looking into Toby's mom's death, whether she's looking into some other angle uh, regarding Cece, it's not known. But it definitely does seem like she smiles here, like, it is part of a plan that is working. Do you think, like, it's, I feel like this is, like, a chicken-egg scenario. Like, was it, like, she she knew that she needed to confess to Wilden's murder and, like, this was going to be sort of, like, the logical and preferred kind of conclusion of that? Or is it, like, she wanted to get back into Radley and it was, there was this sort of convenient opportunity of confessing to Wilden's murder that she decided to take? I think it's killing two birds with one stone. I think it's getting... I think it's her primary and her secondary objective. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Outside the De Laurentiis house, a blonde girl in a red coat watches as the upstairs lights go off. She uses a drill to loosen uh, the lattice edge of the porch and enters the house uh, via like uh, a side entrance to the basement here. Uh, This is actually like, you know, it's, it's meant to be like a mysterious scene, but when you know what's up, uh, it's actually Charlotte, homeless and on the run, uh, returning to the home that she should have grown up in and having to live like an animal uh, under the porch and like just in this part of the basement. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, this, is an, this is interesting because I feel like this enters the period where we'll, ha- where we'll have like red coat tags and then like A tags sometimes like it's not always you know both but um yeah it is really um it is really much sadder and more kind of poignant knowing that this is charlotte um returning to the home that she was cast out of yeah um so in the actual a tag two tags um what appears to be blood is pooled on the floor but no it is actually a spilled bottle of wine uh, a opens up a piano and prepares to play a song called Anytime. A then puts a post-it on the sheet music and puts it into an envelope with Toby's name scrawled on the back in big letters. So not to like get too deep on it, but it was definitely Charlotte in the red coat who was hiding out in the Dillerentis house. Who's playing the piano and putting this in the envelope for Toby? Is this Charlotte too, just a different time? I mean, yes, probably. I guess maybe, like, we're supposed to later think that this is Shauna? Um, Which doesn't, I don't know why Shauna would really care about Toby's mom. But, but, yeah, I guess I didn't really think that much about it. I kind of figured that this was, like, just Charlotte at another time. Mm. Mm. I mean, I guess it could... (laughs) I guess it could be that uh, that old red coat over there is uh, Shower Harvey. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. It, it probably is. That's, that's what it is. Sarah Harvey is just playing the piano back when she had hands. <laughs> oh, Sarah. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Um, but that is Into the Deep. What are your uh, what are some final overall thoughts? Well, I want to I want to I have a question for you. Which is, um, why does Jenna survive this episode? Why does Jenna not drown? Because in the books, Jenna, in the books, Jenna does die. Jenna doesn't make it to, like, the end of the book series alive. Unless she comes back, like, in a later book that I haven't read. But I believe that she dies and stays dead in the novels. 
Well, clearly it's because Jenna is a witch and like the only way they can do that <laughs> by throwing her into a lake. Uh, no, no. I I think because Jenna is a is an interesting character to have around and like, you know, as we've established, the actress was pregnant. And so like having her be kind of go through a trauma or be injured was like a way to kind of justify having her off screen for a while. But I think that they always wanted to have the possibility to be able to bring Jenna back in some fashion. Um, I I would say an interesting thing to think about is like, does it even really matter? Because I feel like Jenna exists in this space of, yes, she's alive, but she's actually not really very consequential to the plot for the rest of the series. I mean, I, I kind of, other than like when she shoots Spencer, like I kind of feel like she doesn't really matter that much. Well, and they later act like it wasn't her who shot Spencer. So that's like a weirdness to it as well. Um, Yeah, I I agree. Jenna, like they don't have a solid plan for what Jenna is going to be for the rest of the series. But it feels like the reason that they don't kill her off is because in Jenna, they've written like a villain who we're invested in. So Jenna can't die because she's such a good villain. Like they always want to have her to move around the board and keep in play. But because they're not going to kill Jenna, that means that they, that means that Shauna has to die. Like, because they're, you know, if a villain is going to be held like to Rosewood justice, uh, then it's going to be Shauna who is going to be sacrificed so that like the white lady gets to like go on and like not do much for the rest of the, the series. Plus I feel like if they had killed Jenna here, I feel like that would be a really clear motivator for Shauna. Like they killed my girlfriend, like they blinded her and then they killed her. And therefore the liars are like my sworn enemies from this point forward. Instead, we just have this like muddled mess of like, what are Shauna's motivations? Like she's going to help Allison. She's going to help Allison set up that warehouse meeting with Emily. So she's helping Emily a little bit as well. Uh, But then she's, like, actually, like, against Allison and the Liars and, like, wants to shoot them all in the theater in New York. So it's just, like, it's it's just a mess. I feel like if Jenna had died here, it would have, it would have, like, really, really clarified what was going on with Shauna and the moment that Shauna turned from being Allison's agent to being, like, on her own. So do you, you feel like Jenna should have died here? Um, I think a really, I think a really compelling case can be, can be made for it. I think it, I mean, I like Jenna as a villain. I like having Jenna in play, like at other points, but like past this moment, we really, like, we really don't get Jenna. We we don't get the old Jenna. We don't get like the, the Jenna that the liars are menaced by. Well, I also think I think that's that's all a great point. And and I also think that there's this really weird thing happening with Cece where it's like Cece is being set up as like probably a or red coat or on the A team somehow. Um, And then we kind of will drift away from that. And then later it's like, oh, yes, but no, actually it was Cece. But like there's this whole other backstory that like you didn't know about. And like, you know, all of the you know, all of that that comes out and. I sort of feel like if they, like, the show almost, we were almost, we're almost two seasons past the Mona A reveal. I kind of feel like if the show, 
you know, I mean, obviously the, the ideal right would have been that Prezra would be revealed as A. But like in the absence of that, if they really wanted Cece to be an A figure, I feel like they could have just teed this up to like have Cece definitively be the next A, reveal it sometime in season four, axe the whole, you know, terrible trans trope storyline and then just move on to like the next A figure for like seasons five and six. Like, I just feel like, like I had not really realized how much Cece as possibly A was dragged out. It's going to be another two seasons before we actually get clarity on like what Cece is up to. Yeah. I think that that would have been, I think that would have been very interesting. Uh, And I think it would also be okay if the liars knew the identity of A, but still couldn't catch them. Like, I I feel like that, that would not be like less interesting uh, in terms of, in terms of what they're up to. And also like the question of A is not even always just like the one person. It's like, who's helping them? Is it Melissa? Is it, you know, like there would still be interesting questions to be answered. Yeah, I I think that, I mean, we've talked about this. The show got so into just, oh, the shock and surprise of the reveal. But I think, like, what made the Mona reveal so great is that then we had, like, the next season unfolded and we got to have sort of this character study of Mona as A. And it wasn't condensed into, like, one episode where everything was revealed. It, like, revealed itself over time. And I think that that could have... Um, you know, if they had done something like that with Cece, certainly if they had done something like that with Prezra, like that could have been really compelling. Um, and you could even have another new A like doing stuff to the liars while that sort of character study was happening. But it's like the show just stopped, you know, giving us a chance to like breathe. And, and it ultimately sort of undercuts the storytelling because it's like part of the brilliance of Mona is like, it's like a, it's like a, um, you know, like a, a, a game that you didn't even realize they were playing or something like a trick, a magic trick that you didn't even realize was happening right before your very eyes. And when, and you, when you get time to sort of absorb that reveal, you get to appreciate the depth of that. Well, I, I think that um, it would have been really interesting if Jenna had died here. And as, as I've said before on this podcast, like on my first run through of the show, if A was going to be one of the girls, I really thought that Spencer would have been an excellent, uh, an excellent and interesting choice. And I feel like in this episode, Spencer is known to be looking for Jenna and then, and Jenna like has some information that they want to get. And then Jenna like winds up almost dead, could have really been dead. Uh, And that was the same thing that happened with Garrett. Garrett was going to give Spencer a bunch of information. And then the next thing you know, uh, Spencer is like allegedly looking for her friends. We never see Garrett alive again after Spencer leaves him. So I think it would have been really interesting if the information that Garrett and Jenna, two characters who had a relationship with one another, if they had information that Spencer had killed Allison and in confronting Spencer, Spencer killed them both. Like, I, I feel like that could have also been uh, a, a different road that the show could have gone down, but didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are so many, there are so many opportunities and there are so many like little moments where Spencer definitely comes across as like what, what is going on. And she does like weirdly really disappear in this episode, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, with the Radley thing and with Mona going back into Radley, it would make a whole lot of sense that like, there was some kind of A-team. We, we, we even had the thing, you know, where 
Toby, you know, to, like she made it clear to Toby that like she was a valued member of of Mona's team, you know. So yeah, 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 more ways than one. Um, well, the next episode is the mirror has three faces, which is um, the return of Jessica De Laurentiis, which is always a good time. Uh, and yeah, a lot more kind of investigation into what's going on with Allie and specifically what was going on with Allie and Cece's relationship, which will all like not even really matter (laughs) by the midpoint of season six. True. And it's also, it's Ren's last episode, uh, until post time jump. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be next week is going to be the last time, the last time we see Ren, uh, until he's in an airport, and then he's a diamond. <laughs> she turned him into an eternity stone. I mean, what what is anything? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And he has this that like scuzzy haircut. Like he looks like he just walked off the set of Train Spotting or something. Like he's he's suddenly very like I don't know like very towny Ren or something. It's it's weird. Yeah, this is this is like this is like the last moment that we're gonna see Ren like as as like the sort of like well healed Doctor McSketchy. Like by the time by the time he's back, he's just gonna be like the the very down market uh, the down market version of him, like the doctor who's been like caught prescribing opiates to a member of the royal family, gone to seed kind of a thing. I feel like there's definitely a vibe with like season seven Ren that he's like on something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes, they're they're a hundred. Yeah, like that that Alex Drake has been like drugging him uh, to to get him uh, wherever she's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Um, well, any any last any last uh, remarks on on this particular one on Into the Deep? No, no, this was, uh, I, I mean, I, I can't say that I had a lot of fun at the party, but I did have a lot of fun talking about the party. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It wasn't quite a Jenna hat party. Um, that's like, <laughs> the most fun kind of party, but, um, it was, it was very fun to discuss this particular party and, you know, a PLL party, like if somebody doesn't end up half dead, are we even really having a good time? A hundred percent. Well, we will be back next week with The Mirror Has Three Faces. If you have any thoughts on this episode, um, if you have thoughts on like when Jenna maybe should or should not have died, uh, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, Yeah. Until next time. Take care.